The Energy Transition Podcast takes you directly to the cutting edge of the global energy sector's shift, with a specific focus on the critical role played by oil and gas, as well as the pathways developing around a lower carbon future. Your hosts, Leslie Beyer, Energy Workforce and Technology Council CEO, and Dan Pickering, founder of Pickering Energy Partners, are joined by Josh Lowry, president of Upright Digital. Each episode engages industry thought leaders in an exploration of market-moving trends and topics, including new technologies, ESG, capital markets, inclusion and diversity, workforce innovation, regulatory influences, and the voice of the people. Join us as the Energy Transition Podcast looks at the state of the traditional energy and oil field service sectors emerging technologies, and the path ahead in a world of lower carbon energy development. Welcome to the Energy and Transition Podcast. My name is Josh Lowry. We are coming to you from the Fletch Azul Podcast Studio in Houston, Texas. I am joined, as usual, with a co-host extraordinaire, Mr. Dan Pickering. How are Hello, you, Hello, Josh. I'm doing great. How are you, man? I'm doing great. This is, we've got a routine going. I like routines. Exactly. We're, we're getting this. I, I don't think we'll, we'll do one a week ad infinitum, but it's nice to sort of have a nice flow of guests and, and um, get to see you every week, which just, I mean, makes my day. You know, your friend uh, Maynard came in last week, and they, they do it every week. And they're up to 160 episodes. That was impressive. Yes. I'll be 160 years old before we get yeah. to 160 <laughs> We're, Our pace is a little slower yes. than that. But yes. I do enjoy seeing you. This has been a – I remember when I kind of asked you to do this and you said yes. I was really surprised. And you've been phenomenal with your commitment to this. So it's been great getting to know you this year. I, I like this show. It, it's been fun. And I think we're at – I think this is episode 10 or 11. Or? No. See, you don't – see, I don't say numbers. Numbers – we're much bigger than that in our influence. So why, why even talk about numbers? Great point. Yeah. Great point. Other than millions. Millions yeah. and millions. We're huge in influence. There we go. There and, we go. you know, and actually the, uh, the, influ- the show is growing. The show is really big. It's, it's got, I don't know, do you get people asking you about it at all? Uh, every now and then. See, you're just big on other things. So I get people asking me about the show all the time. And it's, it's uh, my oil and gas friends ask me about mm-hmm. it, which, is, which would make sense. And I, I've actually enjoyed being able to talk to them saying, hey, you know, you need to pay attention to what's going on because this is, I've learned a lot this year from this show. So I hope the audience is, is learning as well. I hope they're, you know, getting to the, the guest list has just been incredible. Today is no different. I'll let you, you get into this in a minute, but it's just been a pleasure. I'm enjoying yeah. the show a lot. So likewise, thanks. And, and today's going to be great. Yes. So we're joined by Grace Chan. Grace, welcome. Grace is a venture principal. You're going to tell us what that means at BP Ventures. And um, I've gotten the chance to know you a little bit over the last year or so. And always, every time we talk, I feel like I learned something. And so now we're going to try and learn a lot. We're going to drink from a fire hose and talk to you about um, what you're seeing in the world. But before we do that, we always like to sort of understand who we're talking to. So tell us a little bit about you. This is sort of part, part resume, part sort of how you like to approach the world. So give us a little bit about you, Grace. Sure, Dan. Um, I'm Grace Chan. I grew up in China. I moved to Florida, age 13. 
Um, I stayed in Florida for college. I majored in finance. Mm -hmm. And after graduating, I moved to Houston um, with the only employer I know, BP. It's been 14 years and I never looked back. I actually met my husband in Houston too. He's an architect. So now we call Houston home. We're raising our two boys, age five and seven. So I'm pretty busy, you can imagine. Yeah. <laughs> five, five and seven. So, so you have something every hour of the weekend. Possibly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and on top of that, I have a, a passion for fashion. So I do rent the runway. So my husband will tell you twice a month, I get super excited when I get my packages in the mail. Wow. Uh, it's a sustainable way to rent high-end clothing. Okay. Um, I love it. This is a rent a runway dress. Do you know what this is, Dan? Uh, I, I do. I have never <laughs> participated in rent the runway. We know what this is in our house. Okay. Yeah. And it's it is the most phenomenal thing that there is, actually. My wife loves it. And it's it's a great app, or I guess it's an app. I don't know exactly what it is, but it's an app. And then since I've used it for almost a year, they've improved their service so much. It's a it went from a startup now it's a listed company. Hmm. Um, and and so you feel like you feel like it's better than going clothes shopping and having the stuff hanging in your closet. I think so because a lot of dresses, especially for me, with commitment issues, <laughs> I cannot. I don't want to wear something that's uh, too many times. Yeah. So this that is costs a two thousand dollars. Exactly. The way. Yes. This is a shared closet, yes. and it's the, truly a sustainable way to enjoy fashion. There you go. I can't believe I know this much about <laughs> yes. Rent the Runaway, but I could. I mean, my wife's going to be very pleased with me right now that mm -hmm. I know this much. No one would assume that you know much about fashion. <laughs> I don't know anything about fashion. Yes. I know about Rent the Runway. Okay, there we go. <laughs> yes, there we go. Well, Grace, tell us a little bit about <laughs> now, now, now that we detour. know <laughs> now that we know how you dress. Yes. Tell us about how you invest, or tell us a little bit about <laughs> about your kind of career at BP. You've been there 14 years. Mm -hmm. So, first of all, how does how do you wind up at BP? Sure. And then take us through sort of the next 14 years. Yeah, yeah, I'll tell you how I ended up in Houston. So when I was graduating, I had one goal. I want to work for a really, really big company. So I pulled up the Fortune Global 500 list, okay. went on the list. You had Walmart, Exxon there, but quickly I realized out of the top 10, top 20, so many are oil and gas companies. Mm -hmm. So it didn't take me long to narrow down the search. Um, it's an internship with Shell that brought me to, to Houston. I loved my internship. You work on some really complex projects with really, really smart people. And you have a chance to have an international career because the projects are international. Mm -hmm. That speaks to my heart because in my heart, I'm a little bit of an explorer. So after um, graduating full time, I went back to Houston. Um, by the way, this is a great city too. You have really good young professional crowd. At that time, I was single, so that was important. Yes. Um, and secondly, the cost of living in Houston just can't beat it with the salary that we're making in the oil and gas industry. And third, the food. You can find anything you want to eat in Houston. So all these brought me back to Houston. Um, and then I had a really good career at BP. I even worked international in 2018. I worked in London, Ooh. supporting BP's Mauritania Senegal business. That was super fun. So you were... Were, have you always been in the investing side? It sounds like not. No. So did you start in finance? I started in finance running economics for um, the Hugleton Field. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you know in that. Kansas? That's in Kansas. Yes. 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 Um, and I worked Walm Sutter. I worked East Texas, Con Valley, Hainesville. Um, and then I ended up in BP's BizDev team. And okay. that's why I got into, I think, investing a bit because we were looking at oil and gas fields per purchase and divestments. Mm -hmm. 
So what's the biggest, what's the biggest either purchase or sale that you worked on in that time period? So I worked on the predecessor for the 10.5 billion acquisition of BHP's asset. Yeah. But I wasn't there when they completed a sale. Okay. Yeah. So you, you'd already <laughs> moved on. You, you, you did the math and then they That's you right. went on to That's your next right. thing. Um, okay. But I remember running economics uh, left and right for, you know, the Wolf Camp, Bone Spring, mm-hmm. Hermian, uh, looking at how much money per acre uh, what's worth it, several packages. And fun fact, when I was an uh, analyst in that team, we went to TPH a whole lot for management presentations. There we go. It, 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 it all, all comes back to something. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> TPH, I love it. Mm-hmm. Um, well, but now you're, so now you're putting money to work in startup companies or mm-hmm. early stage companies and U.S., international, what's your what's your focus? So we have a global team, so is our mandate, it's global. Um, we have a team in Houston, in San Francisco, and in the U.K. Um, I'll talk a little bit about what BP Venture likes to invest in. Yeah. So our sweet spot is Series A, Series B. We can go earlier, can go later stage. Okay, um, and what Series A and B mean for those listening in that, that don't necessarily know what that means? That means the valuation is still affordable okay. at that time. <laughs> so small, these are small companies. Smaller, uh, we like to have a company that has um, at least a pilot that they can do. Um, we take technology risk, we take scale up risk, we take commercial risk. Um, but Series A, Series B, uh, the definition gets a little bit blurred for different startups, but mm-hmm. that's usually the, the sweet spot we like to get in. Okay. Uh, with that said, we did invest in a company called Ioteca at Series C. Okay. Um, because, the, like I mentioned, the lines are blurred mm-hmm. um, for different companies. Okay. And and so a Series A or B round, um, give us an idea. Are you deploying, you know, BP's a huge company. Are you putting $100 million in things? Or are you putting $100,000 in things? Sure. So... Our average check size, I would say, is about ten million dollars. Okay. We've written check as small as three million, written check as big as twenty million, um, but the amount of due diligence effort for each deal is pretty similar. So mm-hmm. we like to target at least ten million. Yep. Um, to kind of make it worth your time. Exactly. And one thing that's important to know: every time we bring an investment forward to our investment committee. We actually model out how many rounds we think this company is going to need in the future. And if the company is successful and BP follows on Parada, um, what's the total lifetime investment mm-hmm. we would need? Mm-hmm. And then we ask for that amount of money all at once. It could okay. be 25 million, could be 45 million. And there are several reasons why I see the benefit of doing that. Uh, one, it gives you a realistic expectation of your exit time horizon, especially for deep tech, hard tech. It's not like the three to five software exit years. Okay. You may go five to seven, maybe even seven to 10. We really don't see a single dollar revenue until that first commercial plant is built. Okay. Uh, so it could be a time, longer time horizon. So building that in is important. And if we build that in, ask for the investment committee upfront, um, we set a realistic expectation on exit on IOR as well. And at the same time, make it more efficient for the follow-on investment for the portfolio companies. Okay, so you've sort of already approved the dollars, so it's less of a a, a process to go back and get that money when when they're doing their series. That's right. Okay. So you can think about the decision being delegated down one level. Mm-hmm. We still make the evaluation: is the company performing? Is the company still strategic? How much money should we put in into this round? 
And for follow-on rounds, we really like to have a new investor come in and lead it. Okay. That way it's just not insiders setting the valuation. Mm-hmm. And then talking in- insiders meaning Existing folks investors. that have already invested. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, the street set a new valuation. What's the, when you, for instance, the $3 million company versus the $20 million, what did you see, and if you may not know this, but what did you see in the $3 million company? Because that does sound small mm-hmm. compared to your average 10 or even the $20 million. Why did you, why would somebody like BP Venture invest in a $3 million company that small? Does it see such a big upside that like we need that little guy or what? I think that's a great question, and I can definitely talk about that one because that's one of the investments that I worked on. Okay. So that three million dollar um, company that we invest into is called Flight Logics. It's a methane detection drone company based in the UK. Um, truly, we encourage company to raise the right amount. Don't raise too much. Don't raise too little. You don't have enough runway. Raise the right amount that's going to get you to the next milestone. So three million at that time was the right check size for that specific company. So that one, the drone, I think each drone cost 20,000 pounds and they uh, needed several to have an operational uh, fleet. But it's not like uh, EV fleet that you need millions and millions of dollars Mm -hmm. to ramp up. So it's the right size for them to scale. Um, And impact wise, I think it's very, very meaningful for um, fly the drone offshore, you can detect methane. If we can make this technology um, available for everyone to use, it sets a new industry standard. So it's very strategic. Makes sense. Okay. And and Grace, if we if we zoomed back out a little bit, are you do you only invest in things that BP is going to use in their business? Are you um, is it only energy transition investments? Are you doing oil and gas investments? What's the, you know, what's the mandate? Mm. So Dan, um, our group, BP Ventures, has been around more than 10 years. Uh, so I wanna say 15, so I wanna say 17 years, okay. one seven. It has changed over time. Mm-hmm. So in the beginning, you can find more investment that support oil and gas, making it more efficient. Uh, we have a company called Bison. It's a downhole wellbore solution. And we also made an investment in a, in a company called Coldbore. It's frac completion data management company. Okay. Um, so these are our existing portfolio companies, but going forward, I think you're going to see um, us making investment more in support of the energy transition growth mm-hmm. engines. Mm-hmm. Um, at BP, we have five of these. Um, it's bioenergy, convenience, EV charging, renewables. Um, renewables include wind, solar, geothermal, and the last one is hydrogen. So I think in the future, you'll see more and more dollars pouring towards clean tech. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. In okay, those so five buckets. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's right. So bioenergy, convenience, EV charging, renewables, and hydrogen. That's right. Um, Josh, this is going to be good. I love... Love talking investments and investors, two investors. Five big buckets, Yes, too. five. <laughs> so, um, and you're looking at this globally. We're looking at this globally. Okay. And, and, and so you could be working on something in Oklahoma and something in Okinawa. That's right. Actually, it's because of COVID. The lines were blurred. Because okay. we did a, a geothermal deal entirely virtual. Um, yeah. Wow. <laughs> you know, I, before you go into that, I w- it's funny you bring that specific, when she brought up the drones, how quickly she jumped over to pounds. It was yeah, 20,000 pounds. UK, yeah. yeah. And I was thinking to myself, how 
many times does she have to do that to quickly convert from dollars, pounds, yen, where we're moving to to, to do that stuff? But yeah, it is you're you're moving in a global game here. It sounds mm-hmm. like that's right. Yeah, it was funny because the the two people uh, that work on the UK deal were both from Houston. So we would fly over there for due diligence. They're like, you have a UK team, but the two Americans are here. Mm-hmm. So that was kind of funny. Yeah. Um, but truly, it's the, the team where all fungible in a way. We can be deployed anywhere. And that's how we train ourselves. Um, you're, you can have sector expertise. You can have your interests. And then we all have our own network. So when a deal flow comes, um, we pick the best person to push mm-hmm. it forward. Okay. Um, so I, I cut you off on the, the virtual side. So you were going to say. Oh, yes, yes. Um, I actually started with VP Ventures virtual. Um, I interviewed and got a job early 2020. And I was going to start in March. <laughs> timing. And uh, uh, we thought, oh, it's going to be a two-week shutdown. Why don't you just start when we go back to the office? And then quickly my new manager realized we're never going back. At that time, we thought we're never yeah. going back. So he's like, okay, June 1st, you start. And then that year is when we worked on a deal entirely virtual. I have to say the onboarding process was kind of stressful because mm. a lot of on-set things is the five minutes before the meeting and five minutes after the meeting. To learn all that virtual, mm. a lot of times I turn off my camera, I wonder what just really happened. Yeah, I'll <laughs> bet. So you, didn't, so you had to get to know your team. Yes. And I assume all the portfolio of companies that you'd invested in. Um, plus all the deal flow. Wow. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that sounds very tough. Yeah, that's a challenge. But the benefits of that, uh, it's actually very efficient because meeting startups, you think about you, you used to invite into your office, you invest the time, but now it's so fast. You can see the startup in California, in New York, in Austin. You can see them then in the next hour if you want to. Mm-hmm. Because everything is done virtual, yeah, and then it really blurred the geography lines too for our, our team member to really work on different deals. Um, I now support new markets, so Asia. Um, I cannot imagine doing that before, uh, based in Houston, mm-hmm. but now we can. You just lose a little bit of sleep, but okay, twelve hours <laughs> difference, right? Yes, literally turned around. Yes. So, and you just got back from Singapore, did I? That's re- right. Okay, so. Yeah. What's it like in Singapore, still wearing masks over there? And what's the, here in, here in the States, it feels like energy transitions, one of those things in the last 18 months that's kind of exploded and everybody's trying to deploy capital. Mm. Is, it, is Asia ahead, behind? And what are they thinking? What are they th- focused on compared to what here in the States we're focused on? Okay, so I'll give you my impression of Singapore first. Yeah, please. The food is delicious. <laughs> I is. I try to work out every day. I still gain four pounds, um, but it was it was really worth it. Um, but Singapore to me, it's it's very westernized. Okay, it's very safe. It's very developed. It's almost a bubble in Asia. I I don't think the rest of the Southeast Asia is like Singapore. Um, in Singapore, you just feel so safe to walk at night. Um, you see lots of expats. There's an American club in Singapore. Mm. Um, Funny story, the American club, if you have an American passport, it only costs you $20,000 to join. If you don't have an American passport, it costs you $100,000 to join. Wow. So, so hold on to your American yeah. passport. <laughs> um, okay, so back to my um, the, the deal discovery trip, yeah. the market discovery trip in Singapore. We're still in the early stages to uh, figure out an investment landscape. Over four days, uh, we met 19 different local VCs. Wow. 
and wow. um, oh yeah, Tomasic, BlackRock, all the local players. We mm -hmm. really wanted to get to know them because people like you, they send you deal flow. Mm -hmm. And so you, you just post up in one area and they come to you this whole time or how does that work? Or do you run to them? I ran to them. I set wow. an agenda. So I dragged my manager all around Singapore. They have a fantastic, um, their version of Uber called Grab. It's really, really user-friendly. So that's what we used. Okay. Um, we did get caught in a thunderstorm a few times mm -hmm. while going from different places to places. And if you talk to native Singaporean, they will actually tell you like, I didn't, I don't remember those crazy, crazy thunderstorms as a child. So I actually Climate learned- Climate change, it's, exactly. it's happening. The mangroves that's native to Singapore, I learned 95% of them were cut down, the historical ones, to make room for urban development. There's plus to it because then people in Singapore can all live in government subsidized housing, but it does come at the cost. Yeah. yeah. Wow. So you saw 19 different VCs. That's right. And then did you see companies as well, or was this really a deal flow kind of relationship trip? Um, it was, it was both. So okay. we were there to uh, attend CleanTech Foreign Asia. Okay. So that was our anchor trip. And then before that, we made time to see VCs at a conference. We met a lot of startups and we met startups um, along the way as well. We took some meetings in our hotel. Oh, by the way, Singapore is a very late city. I, before I went, I was wondering why nobody accepted my 8 a.m. meeting. <laughs> <laughs> and I realized, okay, that's a mistake. Of course, they stay up late to talk to the U.S. and U.K. Oh, yeah. So it, the meetings go late into the night. Uh, dinner doesn't start until 9 p.m. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. So I, I, I learned it the hard way. I'm an early bird. Yeah. I imagine you guys are too. Yes. Here we start super early. Sure. Not the same in Singapore. Okay. Yeah. Hmm. And so how con con contrast, it sounds like there's a lot of, global VCs mm -hmm. that have offices in Singapore, but um, are they compared to the, compare it to the U.S. and the VC community that you talk to here? Everybody kind of thinks about things the same way. Are their funds sized the same way? Is What are similarities and differences? Yeah, say? we met funds that's, uh, that focus on C stage, so they will be good deal flow, like incoming for us. And we also met uh, uh, well, growth hold on, funds. Hold on, so yes. the C stage, that's because Companies are going to come to them. They're going to say, you're too early for us, but you should talk to BP Ventures because they're doing um, A's and B's. No, no, no. These are, are that's seed. A, Did you say seed? Seed. 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 I'm sorry. So okay. one VC is called Klein Capital. Okay. They have boots on the ground in Vietnam. They have boots on the ground in Indonesia. Uh, a person there like yep. looking for deals. Mm -hmm. So once they invest in a company, if they think it's super interesting, they can flick it over to BP Ventures and say, hey, take a look. Right. We may be the lead investor in that round. I see. So we met a group of these VCs. We met uh, some VCs that invest in the same Series A, Series B that we do. And we also met Growth Fund. So some of our successful portfolio company we can introduced to them. them. So it's a very worthwhile trip. Yeah. Um, and then at CleanTag, I did observe some uh, macro trends. So for example, if you look at the amount of money that's pouring to Asia, it's slowly on the, slow and steady on the, on the increase. Okay. So 2017, uh, all of the CleanTag deals I was done, maybe 12% was in Asia. Okay. And you fast forward to today, that number is now 17%. Okay. It's not a crazy jump, but over time you can see that it's increasing. 
Um, if you look at absolute dollar amount, um, year to day, 3Q 2022, 20.9 billion has been poured into clean tech in North America. Okay. You compare that to Asia, which is 6.4. Um, okay. By the way, I'm quoting out clean tech foreign data. Okay. Um, and out of that 6.4, what's really interesting is 33% or 2.1 billion went into, um, guess which sector? Mobility and transportation. So in a way you can say, hey, uh, mobility, um, transportation, maybe they only account for 16% of the GHG emissions, but you can- Greenhouse gases. That's right, that's right. Thank you for defining that. But you can also think, Maybe out of the five energy transition engines, EV charging will be the first horse out of the gate because so much capital has been poured behind it. Mm -hmm. So that makes e-mobility really interesting in Asia. And something else that's really interesting, um, when we think cars, EVs, you think four-wheelers, right? That's what I think. Mm -hmm. But if you look at Asia, mm. two-wheeler, three-wheelers. Oh, it's interesting. Could the be the, the dominant. how they have those batteries. Yes, yes. What did, what did the, I mean, you mentioned their version of Uber, but mm -hmm. what did the, what did their electric vehicle selection look like over there? Is it, is it substantial? Is it minor? So very different selections. I keep trying I, I to order I, a I'm Tesla, not necessarily mean, but is there a bunch of Teslas or whatnot? I mean, no, are there Tesla. lots of EVs over there though? Um, I don't think the EV penetration in Singapore is the highest. So there's an option in the app, you can select EV, which most of the time I did, but I think that's a really biased sample. Um, I think Singapore is on the emerging front. So at a conference, one of the, the saying was, uh, India is five years behind China in terms of EV transition. Mm -hmm. uh, the rest of Southeast Asia is 10 years behind China, but it could happen really fast. Um, and we don't want to miss the boat. That's why we're looking there right now. See, I would think Singapore would be on the front end of that just because of they are westernized. I mean, it is a it's a it's a country of money. Yeah, you know, that's, that's what I thought, too. <laughs> but once you get over there, you realize Singapore, they encourage public transportation. Mm -hmm. They actually put a lot of I think a title certificate fees on a car. So their goal is to get cars off the street. They're not really giving you any incentives to transition to an EV. They just want cars off the street, just off. period. Yeah. So it was a something that you had to be there to learn. Yeah. We were imagining like the deal flow would be like India, abundant. It wasn't like that. Hmm. Mm -hmm. So you, you mentioned something. You see all these basically peer VCs, but it also sounds like they're potentially competitors, right? Other AB investors. So. When, when you think about this venture capital community, are you, do you club up to do things? Or do you like to, do you, does BP Ventures like to be the lead? Do, will you be a syndicate member? How does that all sort of work? So I think we play really well together within the VC community. The example I refer to in upstream is think about exploration wells. We really going uh, together with a bunch of other majors to diversify our risk. You take many smaller bets. Uh, so globally, BP Ventures, we co-invest with 250 plus co-investors. Mm -hmm. uh, there's some we play better than others. There's some um, we consistently co-invest with them. Um, but generally I say like we definitely like to co-invest. Um, 
especially in these newer markets, we want to team up with a local player mm-hmm. uh, that has local knowledge about the market. And there's several strategics um, that could play well together. Um, for example, one of our portfolio company uh, in China called PowerShare, they do EV charging software. Um, Volvo just came in. So they're also a strategic, but they're not a direct competitor to BP. Mm-hmm. We actually have some synergy. Uh, so those are really um, great collaborations between different When you say strategics. somebody, you, wa- you want a collaborative environment, does, does somebody have to be a Volvo-sized company? Or, I mean, because I would think that Mm-mm. the BP name, whether it's BP Ventures or not, is still an intimidating name, right? That's a big name of a company. It, how big of a partner are you guys looking for? I mean, how big of a collaborative, you know, on the ground, whatever, you know, however you want to call that in, in that environment are you looking for? So on a cap table, generally you'll find uh, family offices in the earlier rounds, mom and pop rounds in the earlier rounds. Um, and then financial VCs and strategics will come in the later rounds. I don't think we're that choosy and sometimes you don't have the luxury to choose. The cap table, it is what it is mm-hmm. once you walk in. You can do some secondaries when you invest to clean up the cap table, but then we really don't want to. We want all the money go to the startup for operations for scale for their use for right yeah you don't want to take out other people on a cap table and they don't want to leave that early either because they leave money on the table yep. so we're uh, not that picky on the existing investors of course we do dil- diligence uh, to make sure everything passes the VP diligence uh, guideline okay. D- do so you mentioned the methane detection uh, business that you invested in do you then is it a requirement that BP, the company, want to want to use the the services, or is that something where you make introductions and potentially there's a commercial arrangement? How does how does the the things you invest in relate to the businesses that you're focused on? That's a great question. So BP Ventures, we will execute our equity agreement with the company. At the same time, alongside our investment, we actually look for a a commercial agreement between the startup and a BP business unit okay. um, to be executed. Yeah. Um, and then ideally the two will be joined up. Uh, we sign these at the same time. Close at the same time. Yes. So um, so your BP's charging or uh, BP's oil and gas business might be saying, great, you know, we'll use this drone thing offshore. Mm-hmm. You're making the investment. They're signing up a three-year you know, minimum commitment or something like that. That's right. And then truly that's why people are interested in working with BP Ventures. It's not our money. A lot of startups, they can raise money. Money is good. Money is good, money is good, but it's the BP brand that Mm -hmm. they see that's valuable. We're getting a good testing partner too. I mean, you're you're testing your product, you're learning. Mm -hmm. Someone who has a vested interest in you doing, Sure. I mean, good feedback the whole way. I would think that that's... You know, Absolutely. It's, yeah, it's better than someone just yelling at you and kicking you off the site. <laughs> you know, there's there's a lot of learning curve that comes with that, I'm sure. There is, and there are different ways we collaborate with a startup. Uh, the example in India, we invest in a company called Blue Smart. It's an EV hailing business, so it's an EV fleet. Um, and a BP strategic angle is we have a joint venture with Reliance. That's the Walmart of India. And our joint venture, GOBP, will provide a charging um, for this EV fleet. So the ecosystem for EV in India is still fragile at the moment. So this creates a positive spiral. 
you have an EV fleet driving out demand, providing some captive demand for our EV charging, and at the same time, they don't have to worry about where their charging solution is coming from. So it's uh, promoting a greater ecosystem. Yeah. There's and a vertical integration yeah. there. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Hmm. Interesting. Um, your five buckets. So your five buckets, then based on what you just said, those five buckets are, are have business interests, BPS business interests in those areas. So um, I, I wrote them down, but I mean, tell us a little bit about uh, renewables. I think we everybody gets, but what's convenience mean? What's that vertical, if you will? So we want to create customer touch points. So right now people go to a BP gas station. In the future, they could be charging their car at home. Mm -hmm. So what's the draw to draw them to a BP charging station? So we added a convenience factor on there thinking, could be, Dan, you're charging your EV and your wife tells you buy this and buy that. You just go over there and buy your groceries. Mm -hmm. That could be one convenience. Um, there are people designing what is the gas station of the future look like. Could be a gym. For me, it would be maybe hair salon, nail salon. What's the convenience factor um, that will really draw you to continue to use? It's uh, not going to be the that. gym for Dan. <laughs> no, no. Or nails. <laughs> or hair salon. We're over two of yeah. these examples. But yeah. <laughs> so, Dan, what, what would draw you to, uh, to yeah. use uh, EV charging? If I'm not doing it at home, you're saying. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Um, it's a great question. Uh, a bookstore might do it for me. I've heard mm. a coffee shop. Coffee like has that. been okay. It, it, what you're talking about, it's really interesting. I, I definitely think, as EV penetration rises, the the gas station of the future is not. I mean, if if we all think about the last five times we filled our gas tank, um, I don't want to spend a lot of time in most of the stations that I go to, right? I'm mm -hmm. standing outside, mm -hmm. filling up and getting the hell out of there. Um, it's going to have to be different if you're there for 20 minutes. So uh, th that's an interesting opportunity It's really or the challenge. opposite way around. It is the gym of the future with a charging station attached to it. Yeah, yeah, could yeah. be, could be. So that's convenience is, is around, okay. That's, yep. that's helpful. And bioenergy, what's bioenergy mean? Um, so that's a, a energy that's created from renewable uh, crops. Okay. So in Brazil, I think we have a, a Bunga BP, that's a energy grass. Okay. Turning to fuel. Okay. And, and so that would be, it, it's, it's biofuels for, for lack of a better. Okay. That's right. That's right. And, and um, I don't, we sized the, the, we sized the individual investments kind of 10, 10 million or so at a shot. Are you guys, I mean, do you have a specific budget every year? Are you trying to, mm -hmm. do you have, you know, billions to put to work, hundreds of millions to put to work? What's the, you're smiling. I mean, there's um, never, there's always more deals than money, but anyway, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah. It's a, so our annual budget has increased um, from previous years. Currently, it's $250 million okay. um, per year. That allows us to do between five to seven new deals, and then we reserve some firepower for follow-ons. Mm -hmm. um, so that's one mechanism that we work with startups is direct equity investment. We also have a separate pot of money, um, we say, for pilots. 
So these could be startups that's not quite ready for equity investment, but they have a pilot they are doing with one of the BP business units. So we don't take equity at that stage, but if the pilot is successful, the business is interested, we want to make an investment, we convert the pilot cost up to $250,000 mm. into as a discount into the next round. Okay. Yes. And so do the business units bring you those deals or are you identifying them and taking them out to the... Could be both. Okay. Um, I think it's easier for business to bring us the deals, but then you will also think if it's something that's deployable today, it doesn't really future-proof my business 10 years down the road. So we're thinking really hard, how do we make investments that's not only supporting the current strategy, but informing us what's coming down the horizon. So within the team, we're thinking about um, actively how to make these investments. One example could be battery recycling. Mm. We currently don't have a battery recycling unit, but if you think about the amount of EVs that's coming online in Asia, um, the bottleneck of lithium, um, you don't want lots of batteries to end up in the landfill. So what are we gonna do with those end of, end of life batteries? Mm -hmm. Is it second life energy storage or you wanna do the circularity to make it purposeful again? Mm -hmm. So something like this is something that we're actively thinking about. Hmm. Okay. So you've talked, we've talked a lot about your business and kind of how you guys make investments and the things that you're looking at. Let's take another step back. And a lot of this is driven by you know, the, the view that the world's going to decarbonize. Mm -hmm. So talk to us about how you think about, and, and this, you know, you, this doesn't have to be BP's view, this is yep. Grace's view, um, you know, is net zero the right way to think about uh, decarbonization? You know, can we do it in the time frame that everybody talks about? How are you thinking about the as you see all of these different okay. things play out? So I think about this is Grace's view on energy transition. I'm actually looking at it from the perspective of the people that's working energy transition, the workforce. Okay. So Dan, I've been with BP for 14 years. I probably have another good 15, 20 years in me working energy transition. And I, I'm a planner, so I plan out, I'm probably gonna retire at 2035, 2040. That's not the end of energy transition, not zero. Who are we passing the baton to at that time? It's going to be your children, your children, my kids working it. So thinking about it from that way, it gives me a lot of urgency actually. Mm. Um, the more that we can do today, will give them a better chance at reaching net zero. So earlier this year, BP, BPX, BP Ventures, and American Red Cross held a joint workshop with their accessibility team. Uh, they showed us some data that the natural disasters are happening more frequent. Uh, severity is, uh, it's more severe. Okay. So if you think about Earth as a patient, American Red Cross could be the ER doctor triaging, but if when we make investments right now in climate tech, we are preventing, we're, we're checking the root cause and preventing these um, patients even going to the hospital. So the impact may not be felt immediately, but five, 10 years then, mm -hmm. it will be a big impact. So I absolutely think net zero is the right goal to set. We, we need a big, hairy, audacious goal to, for people to rally behind, to really think about it coming together. Um, I cannot think of a more meaningful way for me to wake up in the morning and go to work. 
it's working on this. Mm -hmm. um, I think we're a pretty mission driven team. Um, we work with a purpose. Like everything we do, we think about what's the impact. Uh, can this scale? Because we want stuff that can naturally scale mm -hmm. to really have that large impact. Mm -hmm. um, so this is Grace's view on energy trans yeah. transition. I'm, I'm curious. So the Red Cross meeting, mm -hmm. the, because I, he I hear you just said they showed you uh, more, more and more meaningful climate issues. Mm -hmm. I also hear people say, ah, statistically, the climate's not any worse in terms of natural it's disasters. Weather, it's weather, it's not climate. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> whatever. So, um, so it's interesting. So Red Cross has got stats mm -hmm. showing more and worse. Yeah, and truly, I am all for the progress that we have made mm -hmm. with oil and gas. Um, I told you I grew up in China. Yep. In a part, it's a, it's a Navy station, so it's a small town. My mother was a Navy physician, so there are days that we didn't have reliable energy. I remember studying by candlelight. So imagine moving to the United States, you can flick on a switch, you always have electricity, and so cheap and abundant. I love that. I love the progress that we have made on the back of oil and gas. But now the, the financial impact from these natural disasters is starting to outweigh mm. the, the benefits we're getting. So truly, if you look at it as a, a financial decision, economic decision, investing in climate tech also makes sense. It's not just for saving the nature. Yeah, okay. Mm -hmm. That's interesting to think of the, going back to the, the Red Cross analogy of the patient. What, <laughs> what, I mean, what that was the example they gave, think of it. Or was that was that my example. example. Oh, okay. Yeah, because I, I feel still like they're a great on the, example, though. Thank you, they're yeah. on the frontline triaging. Mm -hmm. But how do we minimize that? It, that truly we gotta solve the root cause. Um, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Maybe we do vote for the battery chargers at the gym then. <laughs> So let's go back to the, I'm, I'm back. I'm on board with that again. Now. I take back my comments earlier. Yeah. You can't, you can't drive if you don't work out. That's right. <laughs> I, I would be, would be stuck at home. I'd be a work from home permanently. I'm afraid. Grace, what do you think the, as you're, you see, you see all of these different technologies mm -hmm. emerging, uh, you know, there's the big picture issue of net zero or decarbonization. What's, What's kind of the most misunderstood piece of this equation? There are two parts that's misunderstood for me. Uh, so the first one, um, energy transition, focus on the transition. We're not talking about turning oil and gas off uh, overnight. A key word, operator word is transition. Uh, we talk about it's, uh, I think 28 years from now, or we can round it up to 30. Yeah, um, to 2050. To 2050, that's yeah. right, that's mm -hmm. right. Um, oil and gas will have a role to play um, especially natural gas. It's such a great feedstock for blue hydrogen. It can displace the dirtier fuel that's coal. Mm -hmm. So natural gas is really important. And the money that we're investing, it's on a, it's coming from oil and gas. That's the cash cow of the business. It's so important. So transition, energy transition, I think the transition part, a lot of times we don't talk about that enough. Um, about the prominent role that oil and gas still has to play mm -hmm. um, in, in getting us there to net zero. Um, the second one, um, so 46% of the money that got into climate tech is in mobility and transportation. And we talk about it, only 16% of the, the greenhouse um, gas um, is coming from there. There's mm -hmm. an, 
some sectors, even if you turn off oil and gas completely, the GHG gas, uh, it's not going away. Yep. Um, we're talking about agriculture, we're talking about deforestation, talking about land use. Collectively, that's I think 18, 19%. So there are- uh, Of emissions. Of emissions. Yep. Um, there are other opportunities like, for example, nature-based solutions. Um, mm -hmm. I talked to a, a, a VC in Asia on my Singapore trip. They were pretty excited about an opportunity in a startup they invested in. They use technology to aggregate um, different farmers in Indonesia. Normally, these farmers will have a hard time um, to clank carbon credits because it's either too small, not worth their effort, they're not sophisticated enough. Um, however, if you aggregate them together using technology, you can unlock a massive, massive tail of carbon credits. Um, so not only the big players that's more sophisticated that knows how to uh, claim the credits, but you can band these like tail together. That's an opportunity. You have a smart way to incentivize the farmers not to burn their crop. Um, <coughs> or engaging other carbon intensive activities. You show them the allocation. But that's the key, right? That, that's the, the key. key. The key is you got to get them money. You got to get them money, show them how they're making money, how their efforts are being measured, and they get a fair allocation. Mm -hmm. um, that's the key. Yeah. So technology can get us there. Um, so I'm pretty excited when I hear about opportunities like this uh, that's being talked about in Asia. How do you communicate that, though, to them? I feel like that's difficult to get to them. Well, I think about oil and gas. You think about the, the landmans that's pounding mm -hmm. the pavement, signing leases. We could do a similar approach in Indonesia, have a, a person out there educating the, uh, the farmers, the villagers, um, rally them in a town hall. I don't know. I'm just yeah. you know, no, thinking here. I mean, if you think about it, the guy that's selling fertilizer or you know making the rounds with these folks. Yeah, you're right. He's if, you, if you tell them, if you don't do this, you get paid that, I mean, then they sit there and weigh the pluses and minuses. And it's like, mm. wait a minute, you're telling me I can make more doing it this way? I mean, most of them are going to do it that way, probably. So the local right players, point. that's that's so crucial. So in we met a startup that's called The Bike in Vietnam. They make these like really, really cool two-wheelers in Vietnam. And then talking to the founder, he was telling me the local conglomerate called VinFast did a excellent education sessions to educate people why EV. It's actually cheaper now, on par with ICE car and the long-term maintenance, it's cheaper. Mm -hmm. So these local players um, play a huge part in the adoption and knowledge um, transfer, if you mm -hmm. will, yeah. about the energy transition. Sure. Well, and, and when agriculture in the U.S. is it's still pretty fragmented, but there are a lot of big mm -hmm. owners of assets. I assume in Asia, there are a lot of small owners of assets, very fragmented, you know, little farms, family farm type stuff still. I imagine still doing my market discovery. Yes, there you go. <laughs> you're, you're still learning. But the trusted advisor <laughs> is the same the world around. That's right. That's right. Mm -hmm. So your comment about studying by candlelight in, in China, um, you moved to the U.S. Did you speak English when you got here? I knew hello, I knew ice cream. But then I'm the type of person that really likes to talk. Even day one on the school bus, I was poking a kid next to me, hello. <laughs> ice so, cream, give me some ice cream. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I think I picked up the language pretty fast. You yeah. can probably tell I like to uh, express myself. Yeah, still that seems 
as a teenager, it would be pretty daunting to show up. And it sounds like you go to you went to school not knowing how to. I mean, did, how's that work? Do you do they? You have classes to learn English. I mean, what? yeah, we do. It's called ESL,、yeah. English as a Second Language. Yeah. So、um, in Florida, there are actually a lot of kids from Cuba. Okay. So I think I was one of the only Chinese、um, kids in class. Maybe there are two of us, and a lot of Spanish speakers.、Mm-hmm. So besides regular classes, we will go to these targeted English classes to learn English. Yeah. You know, I want to give a, a quick plug to another friend of ours.、Uh, Aaron Marquez is a friend of our. He was on the Oilfield 360 podcast. He came from Mexico, sp- spoke no English, went to two days of the ESL classes, and realized he was going to learn it too slow there. Asked to be put in all English English classes quickly, you know, immediately. Yeah. To just and to deal with the making fun of, etc. It said it was a tough first four months, but he was forced to learn English quickly. And we interviewed him. There's, if you wanted, the audience wants to listen to it. There's a great, go Google the、uh, Aaron Marquez episode, the first one. But the stories of people that move to America without speaking any English are just, you either go all in on it, or you, I guess you don't, and you have to learn it at some point. But, you know, hello and ice cream. It's only gets you, I guess, it gets you free ice cream, or at some point, not free ice cream, but ice cream. Get、so. you, get you directions to Baskin Robbins. Yeah, that's right.、Um, so no, I just, I commend that. So ESL、yeah. classes for sure. And then over time, you learned it pretty quickly. Did your parents learn it, or did you come home and have to teach them English as well? So I didn't have to teach my mom because she went to adult school for English. Okay.、Um, if you really want to communicate with people, you don't have to speak perfect English.、Mm-hmm. So that's all you need. That's what the basis of the language is for. As long as you understand me, I understand you. We can communicate. I think that's good. My mom,、uh, she did pass away last year, but even. Uh, she communicated really well, but she had an accent. But it doesn't matter; people understand her. Right. Yeah. Okay.、Mm. So you climb the hill of of learning to speak English. Teenager, you go to Florida State. You come to Houston. Wait, 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 wait. We can't just blow by our first Florida State <laughs> alum on the podcast. It's true.、Here. I mean, it's very unusual. Yes, this is pretty <laughs> awesome. We have a Florida State person、yes. here. Thank、yes. you for coming on, Florida. You're State. welcome.、Yeah. Go, go, no. I guess I guess you're not. That's right. Yeah, but but guess where I was going is that seems hard. Then, you know, the oil patch is perceived as this male-dominated world. Finance feels pretty、mm. has, has historically been viewed as as male-dominated. VC. I mean, talk to us a little bit about being a female in. This world,、sure. the world you've navigated. So you know, there are not that many of us.、Um, so we formed our own clubs. Okay. So we go to these clubs to talk about how it is working with you guys. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> you guys are pretty good. Yeah.、Um, so there are two clubs in Houston I'm involved with. One is women in ESG. Okay. One is women in VC. And I make an effort to attend all these events. One, we always have drinks at these events. There、and、you go. You get to show off your rent the runway fashion. <laughs> Look, I want to give a plug for both of these, if you don't mind. So it's oh sure. What are they called again? Women in VC. It's run by a lady called Sandy Guitar. Okay. She's the managing partner for HX Ventures. Okay. And the other group is called Women in ESG. Women in ESG. Okay.、Um, run by a lady called、um, Keila Han from Quantum、uh, Energy Partners. Okay. I think Keila's on maternity leave, so I'm not sure about the future fate of the club. But I'm sure someone will pick it someone up. Someone will pick it up. Yeah. Someone will pick yeah. it up.、Um, 
I make sure I make an effort to go to these events. Uh, and my husband traveled, so one time, I really, really wanted to go. It was held at the Coronado Club. Mm -hmm. I got a babysitter just so I can go. There you go. Because uh, I really enjoyed the company of uh, these smart, witty, sure. sassy women. Uh, we make introductions for each other. We share deal flow. Mm -hmm. um, when they're speaking engagements or job opportunities, we pass them around uh, to each other. We are our own network, nice. if you will. Okay. So it's a. Uh, it's it's really good. And, and and so would you describe the women in ESG and women in VC? Is this a, a dozen of you? Is it 500 of you? I mean, what's the, describe the community. Um, Is it still fairly small? It's not 500. Okay. I would love that, but it's not. Um, maybe 50 or so. Okay. It's gonna right. grow after this podcast. There you oh, go. yes, yes. So if there's any women listening that want to break into energy VC, mm -hmm. uh, my advice is just when you see an opportunity, go for it. Don't let anybody tell you no. Uh, don't let yourself tell you no, especially don't let yourself tell you no. Because um, I think a lot of times we self-opt out. Um, so wait, wait, we self what? Self-opt out. Oh, opt out. Yes, yeah, yeah a lot of times. Um, yeah. So Dan and I are two thirds of the hosts of this podcast. There's mm -hmm. a there's another co-host that we have, Leslie Beyer. Oh, great. And Leslie is, um, she's she hosts, when Dan is not here, I co-host with her. She's the president and CEO of the Energy Workforce Technology Council. And Leslie's gonna love this part <laughs> of it. She's very big in DNI. She's uh, She's worked for the Bush White House. She's very powerful and has been a big proponent of ESG and just, just women in energy, et cetera. And, I mean, there's a reason that she's a co-host of the show. She's incredible. So I'll make sure that she hears this part and you guys connect with each other as well. So yeah. that sounds fantastic. She's great. Grace, well, do you sense that is is uh, are there more women in energy transition? Uh, is it a is it less skewed toward men in the oil and gas business? Honestly, I'm not sure because it's in our team. It's fairly balanced. Okay. Uh, not in Houston. In Houston, I'm the only female. Okay. Hoping to change that. There you go. Um, but in the at, UK, at BP, you're saying at BP yeah. Ventures. BP Ventures. Yeah. yeah. Um, in in the, our London team, there are definitely more female. Mm -hmm. And and believe it or not, our two big leaders were both female. Okay. So of course, one of them went to M&A, one of them went to BlackRock. So we're in transition, our team ourselves. Okay. Um, but I think in energy transition, maybe you're right, Dan, maybe there are more female. Does that surprise you though, Dan, that there would be fewer females in, in the EIT world? Um, no, I, it, it feels to me like it, uh, it's a younger business and it feels to me like there are just fewer boundaries in it. And so, you know, I think the likelihood of a 23-year-old person today deciding they want to be in the oil patch mm -hmm. versus the energy transition world, I just think you're going to lean, you're going to just have more folks interested in, in the transition area. So mm. I would say it's going to be much closer to 50-50 than, than the oil yeah. patches. Now you mentioned it, the uh, Greentown Labs, mm -hmm. the CEO is a female, Emily. Yep. And our there uh, Juliana is a, another female leading Houston, so I, I I actually I see a lot of female yeah um, well that's great energy transition that's good um, but it is a demanding job so the elevator room is how do you balance uh, work life balance you know last week I got back Tuesday night from Singapore and next Tuesday I'm on a plane to London so I would say 
you get a supportive husband <laughs> and and a, and a support network around you. I don't really have family here, so over time I had to build up um, friends, and then I have a trusted housekeeper. She's also my nanny. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, and today is one of these days I really needed my support network. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, you're gonna have hard days, but I think we, we are so hard on ourselves, we don't have to do it all, and we, we can do it all. Um, so support network. Support network. So to Good all advice. the husbands out there too, support your wives. There we go. <laughs> Back to deals for a second. So sure. what area are you most excited about? And everybody's focused on deploying capital. What about selling things and exits and mm. you know monetizing things? So tell us what you're excited about and tell us is it is now a good time to be selling things or is it still too early? Okay. I think I mentioned e-mobility in Asia uh -huh. is pretty exciting. Um, actually, my I, there's one more point I want to make. Uh, in Asia, two-wheeler, three-wheelers, uh, sometimes these costs are on par with ICE vehicles, if not cheaper. So in, in Asia, a lot of reasons people switch is because it makes sense financially. Uh -huh. And also because it's so densely populated, your range is not that big of an issue another plus for energy transition for transition to EVs. Um, and in the EV, it's so broad. You have the OEM for bikes, for cars, for batteries. You need EV um, operator for the fleet. You need EV charging, both software and hardware. You need uh, battery aggravators at the end and battery recycling is so broad. So I am excited, but like I said, we're building our venturing strategy map to see which areas of the value chain that BP want to play in and which area that BP Ventures can be helpful. Because mm -hmm. it doesn't need to be venture-led. It could be a JV, could be partnership, could be inorganic, um, just buy something. Mm -hmm. So these are all different market entry points. Um, to your other point, selling stuff. Yeah, so Oof, buying yeah. stuff you like, mobility, particularly <laughs> in Asia. Selling stuff. Okay. So for selling stuff, there's always a winner and loser. Um, on our side, uh, if you have a EV company that went back last year, you probably don't want to sell it now. Hmm. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, and then truly as a strategic VC, we are less interested in flipping our f just for financial returns. I feel like our time is much better spent building the companies that's truly strategic into the billion dollar business they could be for BP. Um, so longer hold period, rather than saying, oh great, we doubled our money, we're out. That's right. Your point is, this thing could be really important over the next 15 years, so let's hold it for that long. Yes, I believe the strategic value we're creating should overshadow the financial value we're getting yeah. on certain companies. With that said, we are getting a ton of inbounds for for people to buy. For people to buy. Yeah. Uh, not all of them are good leads, but I do talk to them. If they really want to do a secondary, we will certainly entertain um, these offers. Mm -hmm. um, I do think there's a lot of market consolidation out there right now. Okay. You probably have seen the same thing too. Well, um, valuation is always a question. You know, what, what, you know what buyer and seller think something is worth that's changed a lot in the last year and so it feels like what i think what we're seeing grace is um businesses that are showing progress mm -hmm. with realistic valuation expectations there's a market there 
mm-hmm. on both sides. You know, there are buyers, there there are sellers. Um, you want to get paid like it's SPAC time. Um, that that market's gone, right? So it's it's very much a function of of lots of interest in in the space valuations. There can be bid ask gaps for sure. Yeah, for sure. We have a VC buddy. He says something that's so funny. He says. Uh, the valuation, um, it's like a hot cup of coffee. The, the, the foam has uh, evaporated, but it's still a hot beverage. <laughs> <laughs> so I keep reading about valuation has come down, but truly not in the sectors that we're looking at. Yeah. I still see high, high valuation in some of the deals that we're chasing. And we're still losing deals. You, you're, you, I think that's a great point. The closer you are to IPO, the more the valuation is compressed. In other words, early stage, it's still the dream, mm-hmm. right? And the dreams are expensive. The closer you get to an IPO market where nobody wants an IPO these days, tough stock market, you know, that's where folks are tamping down valuations. Yes. So that or they go back to the private market and raise yes. money there. Yes, stay private um, longer. One of our portfolio company, expensive. They were planning to IPO on the Aussie market. Say the name again. Expensive. Expansive. Expensive. Okay, thank you. Um, but instead, Blackstone injected four hundred million dollars into that company. Four hundred mil. Four hundred mil. Wow, and and at a what what sort of valuation was it public? What the overall valuation was? I think it's around two billion. Okay, and what do they do? Um, carbon trading platform. Okay, and they focus on digitally. Um, digital barrels, if you will, intelligent products. Okay. Um, because the products that's coming from Gulf of Mexico could have a lower carbon emission yes. than the so ones I'm sure. Yeah. But how do you, uh, right now we're only taking out the quality and location differential. We're not really taking the carbon intensity differential. Yep. So there's a belief saying in the future, that's gonna be worth something. Mm-hmm. So they're, they're earmarking the low carbon barrels, if you will. Exactly, hmm. yes. So, Grace, as we as we kind of end or, or get near the end of our discussion, um, if you're comfortable, tell us a couple of like cool things in your portfolio that you're, you know, you talked about e-mobility where you're making new investments. So what about some of the stuff you've invested in? Give us some cool things that BP Ventures is doing. Sure. Um, one of my favorite portfolio companies uh, is called Carbon Free. Um, so they are located in San Antonio, Texas. Dan, if you want to go for a visit, there we, we can go. take a road yeah. trip. <laughs> My mother-in-law lives there, so. I'll oh, so you don't want to go there? Yeah. <laughs> so carbon-free, um, they can take the um, the CO two from a nearby emitter and mineralize that into a valuable chemical product, and they sell these chemical product that's um, carbon negative. Okay. Um, so their first commercial plant um, is in San Antonio. The first one took $100 million to build, long time. But their second gen plant should only cost $35 million. Wow. And the economics on the second plant looks fantastic because they're mineralizing a more valuable product with a bigger market. So that company I'm really excited about. Um, so it's uh, the Carbon business- Carbon free. Carbon free. Okay. Yes, that's one. Further the Google cost it. from yeah. one to two. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other one is PowerShare. I mentioned in China. So BP invested in 2019. At that time, we were using it um, as an EV charging software. Um, in China, BP has a JV with DD. Mm-hmm. So 
PowerShare allows non-DD drivers to get on our network um, and use our charging stations. So drive up the the demand and utilization. Creates an open system, bring his, exactly. more traffic. Um, and then I mentioned um, Volvo has came in. Mm-hmm. And there's uh, Alliance Ventures, which is Renault, Nissan, and Mitsubishi. Um, they have expanded their services to do virtual power plan because now they have 150,000 um, charging stations or EVs on their, on their network. So they have aggregated enough demand that expanded their horizon. Hmm. Um, and they're also doing battery AI testing for some of the, um, the car OEMs I mentioned and that will go into these cars. Okay. So that company I'm pretty excited about too. Wow. Um, and just to plug, I'm going on the board, so ah. I hope China will open up soon so I can get on the plane, not have to uh, quarantine for seven days. I can yes. just go to the board meeting. Yes, can yes. just go over there. Yeah. What wow. was the, you mentioned the grass earlier, the, the, the bioenergy stuff. The that's bi- not our portfolio company. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's a, I think a joint venture in Brazil. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Just was interesting. It's. You know, you've, we've seen these commercials on TV for mm-hmm. the last 10 years that things like this are coming. And it's, it, it is amazing to see that th- that they're finally here producing the, the cost that you mentioned of San Antonio from 100 million to 30 million. And it's pretty, it, you know, it looks like it's actually becoming a useful product now and in a, in a time frame that matters. Mm-hmm. So it's exciting. Yeah. Yep. My last question before our infamous lightning round. <laughs> so you, you're looking at Asia. Mm-hmm. Um, do do we think that Asia, China, and India specifically, are these guys for real on decarbonization, or is that are they just playing a game? Dan, I certainly hope so. I think they've done uh, China have done amazing on the EV front. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, I, and my relatives that live there told me the air quality has gotten much much better. Okay. Yeah. Um, but what about some of the harder to obey sectors? Um, I don't know. Um, okay. Same thing for India. I think 16 states have EV mandates and some of the international companies that do business in India, they demand, I want an EV fleet. So you're talking about Amazon, Ikea, um, and the local players like Flipkart, Big Basket, they are raising their hands saying, I want EV fleets to deliver my goods. Mm-hmm. But what about a rest? I am really not sure, Dan. Your guess is as good as mine. Yeah. Well, I hope it's for real. They're they're on a slower time frame, right? China's 2060, India's 2070. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're big. Yeah, it's, it's a big deal. So, um, well, maybe we'll have you back and ask you if you <laughs> think uh, how, how that's progressing. So anything else we should talk Actually, about, Actually, this, this would be, we've had lots of great guests, but this would be one that would be interesting to hear updates yeah. annual updates to find out like because i'm sure the deal flow that bp venture sees is huge and it's global and i'd like to see an update in 12 months yeah and i'd like to see your new studio yes you will <laughs> you will be you're like i said you're one of the last people to see this studio so the new ones are going to be great yeah and it's a personal touch for me this is so <laughs> i love this thank BP you for, for those of you that that are listening as opposed to watching there's a a little sign in the back that says BP Ventures. It's a big so, sign. Sorry. It's yes. A beautiful big sign. sign. Big, yes. beautiful sign. <laughs> well done. A nice touch, Josh and team. Um, lightning round? Love it. Are we oh, ready? Oh, you weren't asking me. Yes, but I'm ready for it anyway. Are you ready? Sure. Okay. The rules of the lightning round are 
you don't get to explain yourself. You just have to sort of say yes or no or very short answers. So we're going to put you on the spot on many important topics. All Josh, right, bring it on. Off? Yeah, she's ready. All right, where are we at here? Um, are you ready? Mm-hmm. Work from the office or work from home? Office. Indonesia. Says, says the mom of five yeah. and a seven-year-old. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Don't let my husband hear this. Yes. <laughs> um, Indonesia or Thailand? Thailand. Cash or crypto? Cash. The S&P 500 for the rest of 22. Are you bullish or bearish? Neutral? Oh, man. Cheating, but okay. She's <laughs> messing the rules up here. Uh, seed round or Series A? Series A. Wind or solar? Solar. Will electric vehicle adoption be slowed by the lack of battery, metals, or raw material materials? Yes. The Bay Area or Boston? Bay Area. Whataburger or any other burger? Bex Prime. Bex Prime. Huh? You know, that's a great, I would have never thought about that. Yeah. Okay. On, I mean, which Bex Prime burger? Now we're, we're expanding a little bit. Oh, just a BP burger. It was a BP sauce. Just regular. regular See, one. Dan hates when I get involved okay. in this question because yeah. I mess it up. Um, <laughs> so on your mobility on your mobility side, will the U.S. hit 20% of EV sales as a percent of the total by 2030? Yes. Yes. Wrap or rock? Rock. Forrest Gump or the sixth sense? Forrest Gump. Next five years, the S&P 500 or the Shanghai Composite? S&P 500. Okay. Um, Let me ask this one, and then you can yes, wrap up. perfect. Soccer or lacrosse? Soccer. And my near and dear favorite, will the Houston Texans make the Super Bowl in the next decade? Yes. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Amazing. That's there yeah. must be some Amazing. deal feel, going on here. I'm unaware. I of. feel so good. I'm, I'm riding on a high. <laughs> You're t- we're two for two. The last two guests yes, have said this. Exactly. Grace, thank you so much. You've been an excellent guest. How do we learn more about BP Ventures? Where do we go on the internet or on the BP website? Or how do we get to to learn more about you? Um, BP Venture has a website. Google BP Ventures. And I'm very active on LinkedIn. I actually really invite people to reach out to me. Um, so Grace Chan, C-H-A-N, like Jackie Chan. Mm-hmm. Perfect. <laughs> I mean, I'm glad you learned English as quick. I bet you <laughs> thoroughly enjoyed as soon as you got past hello and ice cream. Yes. Yes. You've got a great, you are very bubbly and outgoing. This is fantastic. Great. Thank you. I had so much fun doing this, yeah. actually. Thank you, Grace. really appreciate yeah. you being yes. here. Yes, thanks for your time.